Hi, this is Terry Eaton, and I'm an energy writer for the BOE Report in Calgary, in Canada. Let's also give you a plug for your private company that you're affiliated with, if you want, um, just to kind of even layer it a little bit further that, you know, you kind of do this day-to-day. Not only do you write about it, but you also work in it. Um, what's the uh, private company you're involved with? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, just a bunch of guys that um, have bought and sold small companies for a number of years, and uh, we're, we're owned in-house. It's called Outlier Resources, and we're a private company. We're mostly focused on natural gas development in Canada, so, which is a tough way to make a living these days, but it's working out okay so far, so I've been around for about three years now. Oh, I think the natural gas um, industry is going to be the tortoise one versus the hare, where that, that one's going to pay off. I mean... If people are still hanging around when you can get, you know, natural gas for a quarter and that sort of thing, um, you know, it's it's only got room to go up, and that's going to make a lot of the um, natural gas investments pay off. I, who, who knows when, though? That's the problem. It just seems like who cannot hemorrhage the most and, and kind of go through some of these low prices. Um, anyway, sorry, to, I kind of uh, editorialized there for a second, but... Um, What's your what's your outlook on natural gas? I guess you know you write about it. You're involved with it. I think it's a, you know, it's right now it might be down a little bit, but I think it overall it's going to look pretty good. I think you're right. I think it's it, a lot of places on a macro level. It's viewed kind of the um, fuel of the future because it it can meet the needs of the environmental side as well as just being a good uh, clean burning fuel. And and there is a relative abundance for sure. So I think it does have a good future. I think it's had a few hard years here, mostly a victim of its own success because the uh, the Marcellus Utica region in particular has been so prolific, and then the rise of associated gas through the Permian and Bakken and other other plays has, has created a bit of a um, lot of it for the shorter term. So, but I think the future does look very good. Well, in in the Bakken, which you mentioned, uh, there's so much flaring that they actually relaxed the. Um, regulations in favor of industry. Um, and I, I'm looking at your column that you wrote here for the BOE report, which is uh, seven Marcellus natural gas myths, or you're playing with fire America, uh, which prompted me to get in touch with you to just talk a little bit about natural gas, what's going on out there. So um, I don't know if you have any comments on, on the recent regulations in the Bakken as far as the relaxing of them for, to, like I said, that favors industry or maybe even the Marcellus one. But talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, your column and what um, kind of led you to write this. Well, so what led me to write it was it was intended as a bit of a wake-up call because there's, um, it seems to be the notion has permeated the entire uh, media sphere that, that we have a hundred year supply of gas that North America does and that it's going to be cheap forever. The phrase uh, just in time gas gets bandied around now. I've heard it in some publications. Uh, a reference to the, the fact that we may not even need as much natural gas storage as we have in the past um, because of this huge supply of wealth that can bring on as much gas as we need it whenever we need it. And that's a bit of a, it seems a bit of a dangerous uh, thing to get to. Uh, hypnotized by because as we can see now in the United States we've entered the, the winter with uh, the lowest storage natural gas storage in 15 years and the if it's a warm winter everything will be fine if it's a cold winter if, for example if we withdraw as much gas from storage as we did in the 2013-2014 year we would completely drain natural gas 
storage supplies in the United States. And that would be, and that's what I mentioned in the column, is that I think people should be aware of what that would look like. If you imagine Chicago running out of gas in February, for example, um, it, I, I can't even picture what that would look like, but it's, it, it is a possibility. And it's not fear-mongering to say that because people have been, become so so hypnotized by the, um, the bountiful supplies to just keep coming, even though prices are low. But I think that might not go on forever. Well, let's talk about you know what moves it around. Of course, in crude oil, there's been a bottleneck, and uh, pipelines have made the news. Uh, they're building a lot of pipelines. Uh, in the Bakken, they're building some um, gas processing plants, which is going to help. But I go back to the natural gas pipelines. Is there, is there any uh, bottlenecking going on, or is there is there too much gas being produced? You know, obviously in the Bakken there is. That's why there's so much flaring. But how about you know Marcellus, other places? What 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 are you hearing about the pipelining when it comes to natural gas? Yeah, the the pipelining is an interesting aspect because it's it's uh, it hasn't kept pace with the development, which is understandable. If you look at the Marcellus going from essentially zero to 30 BCF a day in a dozen years, which is just absolutely unprecedented. So that there, there, there wasn't pipeline infrastructure to deal with that. You couldn't imagine that 15 years ago. And same as the Bakken, the amount of gas coming out of the Bakken, and, and the Permian also, which has been kind of caught. So so the development of these resources can, can far outstrip the ability of pipelines to, to get built. So there has been bottlenecks, and for a long time, in the article I show a chart about how the, the Marcellus was bottlenecked for years. Uh, it looks like that's finally broken free. There's enough uh, takeaway capacity now, which has just happened, well, in this past year even. Um, so, so the Marcellus is looking in better shape as far as being able to get get to market. Bakken is, is, is in the same situation, bottleneck, and like you said, they're having to flare, and the Permian is a, it's a very big issue there. Um, it, there's talk that it might even constrain oil output if they can't deal with the gas properly, if they can't get enough uh, flaring permission or if the lines to Mexico or out west aren't uh, built in time. So the, the development of these fields that's happening so quickly does create localized bottlenecks for sure. And it just takes time for, for them to get worked out. But a, a byproduct of those bottlenecks is some very strange pricing situations. Where you'll get, and up here in Canada, we have a two with the associated gas with the uh, Montney and the Duvernay are big plays up here. And there's so much gas being produced, the gas has gone negative in price here in, in Canada in the past year. And right now it's trading at like 30 cents per, per thousand cubic feet, which is, which is, um, ridiculously low, but it's just a, another bottleneck. So. Like in the Bakken, for example, a lot of times, um, you look at a chart at the production of a well, and it goes down pretty fast. Um, it's got big yes. big numbers in the beginning, then it kind of goes down, and then and then they just stop drilling it. And and so then they either come back and they can refrack it as, as a method once the technology changes or they figure out a different solution, something like that. And then, of course, you've got, you know, your ducks, your, your drilled but unco- uncompleted inventory, that sort of thing, to where, to me, those are like two... I guess uh, creators of natural gas, but if if you're flaring so much of it in the Bakken, for example, where there's such a sharp decline in, in production after it's initially done, um, my question is: is you know, is if there's projections of Chicago, you know, potentially could have some 
uh, somebody like Chicago could potentially have you know shortages of natural gas. And the way that we've drilling is now changed the harvesting or the flow of natural gas. Do you understand what I'm getting at to where are we running out of uh, storage units for our natural gas between the ducks and the refracts? I think so, and I think some people have viewed ducks as the storage, which doesn't necessarily work either because uh, it's, it doesn't mean that it, the gas can get from where it's being produced to where it's needed, uh, and that's the biggest issue. Like the, the Bakken gas, like you say, it essentially has no value if it's being flared, right? So so it, that means it can't get anywhere to a, to a useful market where it would be worth something. So it, it becomes stranded, and then the the... The rate of change, I think, makes it difficult for everyone. Like you say, the at what rate will ducks get drawn down? What will that mean for gas production? Will that stabilize? Do these reservoirs get gassier over time? And and these things can happen fairly quickly over a number of two, three, or four years. And as anyone who's tried to build a pipeline would know, it takes a long time to get a pipeline built if you can build one at all. So so by the time you can put something in place to react to the production situation in a given area, the, the, the dynamics might have changed again. And we're seeing that with LNG export as well, which is which is upsetting the apple cart in some ways too. It's a good thing. It allows producers to access world prices, but it, it, it re- rearranges the flow of gas again. So it, it's a very, very dynamic market. Is there a price point that natural gas people are looking for? Um, Obviously, the consumer loves having the low natural gas prices. I mean, yes. they absolutely love this. But at the same time, you know, if all of a sudden it was like two bucks higher, you'd probably see a lot more reduction of flaring because that would increase more capital for companies to invest in the natural gas market. Do you, do you understand what I mean? Is there is there a price point that natural gas industry is looking for? I, I think you're you're absolutely right, and if we could see that, then um, but it would have to be a sustained price, and that's the problem right now. Yeah. Is that there's no sustained price? The, the forward curve price, the future prices for natural gas, they crater after this winter. They've gone up because of this uh, potential shortage. So we have high gas prices now for the next three months, and then they go right back down to where they always have been. And actually, like price in Chicago for natural gas is the lowest it's for, for the summer of 2020. It's probably the lowest it's been in a few years. So, so the market's belief is that it will get uh, flooded again, and uh, that that means that it's hard for someone to build a pipeline solely for natural gas. For example, if you wanted to build a line out of the block to access one of these markets, what price would you? expect to get for it. You couldn't build it for today's price because it's going to take you two years to build it. So you look at the, the forward prices and they look terrible. And so you think, well, why would I even bother? And I think that's a, a big problem right now. So you're right. Two, $2 more, a sustained price of $2 more would be great. And then that would see things like that happen. The, the Bakken might be able to do something uh, productive with that gas. But until we see that happen, the, the danger, if, we, if prices on the forward curves rose by $2 now, then that might accelerate drilling in the Marcellus again, which would flood the market again, which is why the forward curves are the way they are. There's an expectation that if there's any sustained prolonged price increase, then the, the flood of gas will come back. So, Yeah, it almost seems like, you know, it, there's a social engineering that's been done. Um, and I don't want to make it sound like a bait and switch or anything, but, you know, for the past five, call it five, ten years, 
we've had very good low natural gas prices. I mean, extreme, like almost record. Absolutely. And at the same time, yep. they've offered tax credits and they've really gone the way to make sure people get natural gas furnaces put in, at least up in the, the, the northern part of the United States. So there was a big push. I mean, you know, we spend government money to, you know, have marketing campaigns to get people to invest in um, natural gas furnaces uh, from, you know, the old coal ones and the old uh, uh, yes. fuel oil and, and that sort of thing. It just seems like, you know, after 10 years of getting everybody to make these changes, um, that, you know, adding a buck to the natural gas prices would really just add an economic surge to the natural gas industry. Because I remember Lee Tillman telling me, the uh, president of Marathon Oil, that it's really expensive to ship, you know, a molecule, a hydrocarbon molecule from the Bakken to South America. So it, it takes... It takes some, you know, some capital and some investment to really make the natural gas market viable. And that's the problem. It's just been cheap and, and not a lot of people can invest when they don't get a big return back. So um, anyway, sorry, I just wanted to ask about the pricing a little bit because it's, it's, it's kind of a double edged sword because it's, you know, it's what's good for the consumer is not necessarily good for the industry. Absolutely. And it's it, it great potential for problems because, as you say, you get um, a, a lot of communities or, or counties or whatever that's, that convert to natural gas. And then that's a long-term proposition, right? It's not something you do, you turn on and off over six months. When you, when you connect, you connect. There's a lot of infrastructure that goes into that. So it requires a big capital commitment. And then it requires the expectation that this is going to be around for decades to come. For the investment to pay for itself, and so so we just don't have the price uh, incentive to get all of that infrastructure uh, growing again to, to make sure that that's aligned properly. Now there there are gas re resources, and in some parts of the country, like you say the Bakken and in the Permian and other places where it's solution gas, where the oil is the valuable part and the gas is the byproduct, um, then the, the challenge is to tap that efficiently to make that make best use of that for the country actually because it is a it's a it's a non-renewable resource and it, it is valuable cheap energy is really taken for granted and the more you can utilize it the better for everyone so i did want to ask you about that in fact um that was gonna be my next question was in in your column that you write for the beo report um you say solution gas will save the day, and I've, you know, I'm, I, I got to be honest, I, I feel kind of, kind of silly. I've, I've never seen that term solution gas before. So, what is solution gas, and talk about how it's going to save the day? Oh well, solution gas, or it might be called associated gas, um, but most wells, when they're drilled, um, produce both uh, natural gas and oil. Like even if you drill an oil well. Um, it is a bit of a common misconception that an oil well is an oil well and a gas well is a gas well, but quite often they produce both. Um, the Fermian is the biggest example, but also the Bakken as well. The Bakken is primarily an oil play. Uh, as people know, there's a lot of oil that comes out of a great oil well, but it also produces a lot of natural gas as a byproduct. So the, the sheer volume that's coming out, I think the Bakken produces several BCF a day of gas. The Permian produces something like 10 BCF a day of gas, which is huge, and it wasn't there five or 10 years ago. So, and it's, it, it, is a, it is almost a waste product when you're trying to get the oil out because the oil has the economic value. So you're, you're forced to deal with the gas, and you're, you're, sometimes you're forced to dump it into markets that don't really want it. 
Um, and, but you keep producing it because the oil is worth a lot of money. And that we, that's exactly what's happening up here in Canada to the uh, uh, companies are drilling to get oil and the natural gas liquid primarily. And then they just dump the gas on the market for whatever they can get for it. Uh, and essentially, sometimes companies are almost willing to give it away uh, because their oil is a valuable part. And you have either you can flare it or you have to produce it and put it into a pipeline somewhere. So if the, the regulations that allowed uh, an increase in flaring were actually the, the, the aim of that was to allow more oil to be produced. Because if you, if you force companies to conserve the gas and say, no, you can't flare it, then that can limit oil production as well. So that, that's uh, the associated gas in a nutshell, and it just comes along with the oil and you have to deal with it. And you can't deal with it in a truck like you can with oil, right? You have to build a pipeline or a gathering system uh, to efficiently deal with it. So, Well, I know that's, that's a, big, a big thing in the Bakken right now, um, or at least with a lot of these different shale plays, are the value-added companies. I call them the uh, science projects that uh, you know, go, out to, go out to the different well sites and they'll capture the gas, turn it into LNG, or, or maybe turn around and, and refuel the, the site with it type of a thing. Um, do, do, yeah. do, you, do you see that as uh, playing into this at all? Uh, I know that they're only considered probably less than 10% of, of the entire industry, but, but I don't know, just some, some, for some reason I just see one of those companies just hitting the jackpot and rising up and kind of making it uh, so we're not so reliant on pipelines, if you know what I mean, that they're going to able to figure out a way to <laughs> turn it into, you know, something right there on site. That's just, yeah, I just, I just well, see that happening. We, we have so much innovation going on and so many neat little yeah. science projects happening. Uh, are you following any of that? Yeah. As much as I can, I'm, I'm probably not as up to speed as, that I should, as I should be, but I know exactly what you're talking about, and I know a few examples. And, and uh, one that I find really, really re- interesting, and, and even from an environmental perspective, is the ability perhaps to use natural gas. And imagine you had greenhouses that were, you could even have portable greenhouses on trailers that could grow local fruits and vegetables. Like in North Dakota in the middle of winter, wouldn't it be nice to have your own um, Local, grown, locally grown vegetables. Well, you could have these sorts of things. Wherever you're flaring gas, that's a free source of heat. And you could have something portable to make use of that, and it would greatly benefit the region also. So I think there, there's enormous opportunity there. Like you say, it's science project. It's thinking outside the box a little bit, which is we have to, we have to find ways to utilize that. And the, the traditional view is, well, to, use, to utilize cheap natural gas properly, uh, if you can't get it to market, you need to build like a polypropylene plant or something that, or a fertilizer plant or something that uses huge quantities of natural gas. But that, those are such long-term things that they're they're not helpful in the shorter term. So I think the industry, hopefully, and it's great to see signs that we are going towards uh, finding these almost I wouldn't say guerrilla warfare, but they're they're mobile, adaptable um, uses for natural gas because. It is a valuable resource, and there's so much that can be done with it. And like I said, the portable greenhouse is one idea, and I'm sure there are dozens of others. Um, and um, it would be nice to see governments putting incentives in place for things like that, rather than just straight drilling necessarily, or to increase production, but actually to, to maximize the value of those things. That's interesting, because the governor, he campaigned on that very idea about 
uh, implementing uh, greenhouses to grow blueberries like they do in Iceland was the example he gave. And here last week, he votes to relax the regulations on, on such a thing. I just kind of right. laugh. Instead of going the direction he campaigned, he goes the opposite direction, you know, which is, I don't have any problem it's with like it at all. You know, I mean, I, I, yeah. I think it's, you know, for me, I, 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 I really like the oil and gas industry because they, add, they, they create jobs and they sustain jobs. They're the only industry in the last decade that's actually produced the net gain of jobs. And, you know, I see yeah. what they're trying to do. They're, they're in, they, they spend money on local communities and, and innovation and that they sort really of thing. They really do, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, well, I, I, I think they're, I, I like the industry a lot. I really do. As a journalist, I really enjoy covering the oil and gas industry because there are a lot of straight shooters. Honestly, there's a lot of straight shooters in the oil and gas. Almost too straight. Yeah. Almost too straight sometimes. And, uh, you know, and, yeah. the po- and the politics get kind of funny because you've got, uh, you've got some really uh, green environmental people that have gotten into the oil and gas industry because... The oil and gas industry has really welcomed them in with their for their scientific mind, and then and then you've got the other side, which you know the Tea Party is is uh, liberal. You know they're just they're just really, really really conservative, and so they they don't want to think of change at all. So anyway, I just find it I find the right. industry to be really interesting. But uh, kind of wrapping up your final thoughts, um, what what do you want people to kind of take away from, or or just what? either reiterate or talk about something new, just kind of like to give people final thoughts on, on what we were talking about, you know, just kind of the future and in, in the short-term and long-term future of natural gas, I guess. Oh, sure. So I guess in the short term, I was thinking that uh, the, the point of the article was to, to make people think a little bit. If they, if they believe that we have a near uh, infinite supply of cheap natural gas to make them think twice about that and also to make people realize just how valuable natural gas is and people don't think of that in winter you walk into a warm building and you don't think you're not grateful because it's heated by natural gas but we really should be most of the u.s's population should be so it's a bit to help people uh take it for granted not take it for granted uh and also just to catalyze discussions like you're talking about at the end here like that's phenomenal if we can find ways to utilize natural gas properly um, and then that helps with the whole environmental uh debate as well if the if the energy industry shows that they're taking steps forward like that then that helps with the with our ability to keep going there's a lot of groups out there that want to kill off fossil fuels which we can't because we rely on them for survival but we can certainly make them greener and more efficient and instead of flaring gas maybe we can be doing something great with that and adding some real value to the economy 